0: So it's an initial conversation, you know, especially when you're pitching business, for example, that you always want to build a team. And the team's not only Cushman and Wakefield. Uh, there's probably 10 other folks that need to be involved from start to finish. So you, you want to have those almost ready waiting in the wings or sitting on the bench that when it's their time to perform – you have them you're ready you don't spend another week figuring out who to select as a legal representative you don't have another week to spend picking out an architect you almost on the onset of the requirement want all of that ready to go so that they're waiting once it's their time to play they get in and do their job um, I we don't see that often <laughs> because real estate ends up becoming something that's an afterthought for a lot of folks Um. Uh, unless they're properly advised. Um, And usually it's the tenant rep brokers that are knocking on the door and saying, you know, your lease is up in a year. To you, that might seem like a long time. To us, we know that that's tomorrow, especially if you're 10,000 feet. You know, you you might even have not even enough time when you're 10,000 feet. So, uh, you know, I think to what you just said, there's emphasis from um, these service providers to say you need a team in place and you need to be thinking about this Not only when your lease is coming up to expire, but even the day after you sign your lease, which to most people are like, God, I don't want to think about that. That was just the most painful experience. Or if you have a good team, probably wasn't a painful experience. So it's like consistent follow-up, information giving, sharing. That's that's what people, I think, need to gravitate towards. But you, I'm sure, know how it is. Not everyone wants to think about it. They're focused on their business, and that's their
1: business. And so where you sit in the ecosystem, a lot of the times you're the first, in fact, you're not the first one to be called, per your point. You could be the first to knock on the door and say, start thinking because you have a journey in front of you. And if in 12 months you got to move these 100 people, you already started too late. Let's get on with it. So you find yourself there. Do you guys actually advocate to help pull the teams together or are you more focused on what are your needs and can I find that space and then please get your team ready because when we find it we got to move fast
0: no I think a good broker either from his his or hers past experiences has people they can recommend Um, but it's really not on the client you want to push your client and try to advocate for the proper process but it's up to them to listen Uh, And you could really do your best job about advocating for it, but it's up to them to really take hold of that and take heed of the advice. Um, But, you know, it's really, I think you need the team in place, uh, and it's part of the process, the sales process. Like you said, when you're knocking on that door uh, and you're saying you need to be thinking about this, and people are like, oh, no, 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 my lease is up in a year, well... You need to allocate a month just to finding everyone you need. So you really only have 11 months. And then, you know, the holidays are coming up. So you got to delete three weeks because no one's doing anything. So it's things like that or little things that I think we, being in the business, know no happen way. in the life cycle and the process that everyone forgets. And then, you know, you don't want to be in holdover and paying double rent you, at you the know, end of the day. You
1: know, I'm smiling because <laughs> you are way in the beginning. And the constructor, although sometimes we are also way in the beginning to help advocate, a lot of the times we're pulled in right before probably a week or two that they want you on site to start building. And then what is normally a 12 to 16 week schedule needs to be an 8 to 10 because they lost 6 to 8 on the front side of it. And we, we understand that. We know that, that that is for those clients that started a year early, which is about three to four months late. Yeah, And we see it all the time. But we're on the other end. Yes. So the better you guys can do on the front end to get them thinking, to get the ducks in line, because if we're the last to touch and we want to delight that client, the mountain's a little bigger. Absolutely. Because they already are – had these expectations that they were going to get in three months ago and we're giving them as an aggressive schedule as we can and they're not happy
0: well well, i think you even like to be involved or would hope to be involved uh in the negotiation process if if you're negotiating a work allowance you you should be there to say well is this going to cover it or not
1: uh, value engineering. So it actually goes into a couple of other podcasts we've had uh, on Talisman Talk in the, in the past. Um, uh, where the constructor can add value, where they want to add value. A lot of the times there's so many variables going on very early in that process that the cost of the build-out and the value engineering about the space starts to scare so many of the, the players. So a lot of times the players don't want us in so quick because we may walk through a space and we may see something that is not as material to the cost, but it's enough to create a little stress and strain and the client then slows down and we can even stall them because they don't understand. We found some hot material. It's not the end of the world. Oh my God, they go running to the next space. Wait a second. That just means this, this, and this. Put that into your spreadsheet. So it's interesting. The 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 more sophisticated the brokers and the architects early on and the relationship they have with the sophisticated client, they'll bring us in. But if they're sensing the lack of time and attention their owner and their understanding is, then they don't want to bring us in because we're going to start... We're not going to discern between is that a material issue or not. We're going to just surface all the issues we see because the more we can surface, the more when we're dealing with it, they'll understand so they can stay delighted.
0: Oh, as a tenant rep advocate, you want that. You know, you want something that you think is going to cause a hiccup when you're in the middle of the lease when it is the final hour to uh, completely agree. Have already been thought about. You know, the, the thing that kills a deal is a surprise, not not knowing that it's there. If you know it's there prior to you getting fully baked,
1: yes, you can it, plan it, for it. It,
0: it it's a lot easier to plan for. And you can mediate the cost. And you could say, Well, Mr Owner, we need to spend X amount more on this. You're gonna pay for that. We're not going to pay for that, and it becomes a negotiation as opposed to the lease is out and the owner can point to the term sheet and say, well, you never brought that up, so we're not doing that, and now you're against the lease expiration. You're against hiring another 100 people that you need to get into this new space, Um, and you have to make a business decision, which if it impacts your client negatively from a financial aspect- they're going to eventually find out whether it be their broker, their architect, whoever it was. Oh, it'll and flush out. Most people out. blame the brokers, which is fine. <laughs> uh, but you know, a good broker will look at the deal as if they're the client and say, "What what am I going to not like to see when we're at the final hour?" Right. And you got to ask those questions. That right. that's what I think for as as a young professional is the hardest thing, is knowing what to ask from the onset because then you find out all the details that could
1: cause problems. Well, and, and acting as the, the agent that you are to your client, the tenant that's walking in that space, that's going to incur and actually measure the total cost of ownership. So I agree with you and advocating as much upfront for tomorrow's potential gotchas is, is critical. Again, it's, it's critical. Again, depending on your clients, their level of sophistication, you know, the large organizations that have departments, they have checklists for all this stuff. Pages and pages and pages of them. Um, And you know that was built up on lessons learned over the decades that they've been doing it. Um, So I agree. I think the tenant advocate broker has a lot on their plate because they should be really flushing everything out for all that's concerned
0: Absolutely. It, I mean, for smaller companies, the, the pitch is, and it's the truth, where your outsourced real estate department that, you know, a Microsoft has in-house.
1: You know, and I'm going to just say that not only do I agree with you, I went through it myself personally. I've been in this building for some time now through two leases, and I brought a, an agent in on my second lease to represent me, even though I knew the space, the owner, But I just knew that someone representing me is good because I did not have the time to go through each. And I wasn't as comfortable in what the ask should be, whether it would be reasonable or not, because I don't do this every day. So I went out and reached out and pulled in more people early on, even though my landlord wasn't so excited about that step. But it was the right step.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, I think whether you're evaluating renewal, expanding in the building, relocating, it's not that, oh, we need to go see what's out there because maybe you're really comfortable here. It works for all your employees, the access to transport's great, but it's a leverage yep. game. Uh, and you, you need to play that game to make sure you're getting what's market. Because if the landlord knows that you're in a stuck situation and your back's against the wall, yep. they're going to put their foot down. So you want to make sure you have levers to pull. to say, Options, real know, and, and real, real, options. O, real we, options. We, we yeah. went
1: through a due diligence, and we had real options. And I think that's important. I think it's healthy. But you need someone to guide you, sure. even as a constructor. And we deal with this ecosystem every day. It, it added value, even against my judgment in, in some of the processes that we went through. Uh, it helps. it opens your eyes in in what 's going on from the perspective of the other side when you 're doing it once every five years. Um, but interesting um, so from uh, from overall activity, um, from a construction standpoint, numbers just came out that the market has hit another record and they 're predicting another record in two thousand and twenty and then it 's going to go uh, sideways to twenty one. That's the construction side. Um, From a leasing and an activity, the here and now, is it more active than the summer and spring, just in the anecdotal things you're feeling? Or is it about the same, or is it sliding? What's the the feel? Not the numbers. What's the feel?
0: I'd say, you know, market to market's different, but let's say Manhattan overall. Manhattan overall is pretty much the same. Um, You know, you have the big... And it's literally now. It's funny the Fang stocks, the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, mm-hmm. Google—they've all been driving the Manhattan market, doing you know millions of square feet worth of leasing. Um, and you still have robust activity on the leasing side, whether it be in Lower Manhattan, Hudson Yards. All those markets are still you know seeing activity. Where I think you're seeing less is the Midtown East, Park Avenue style buildings which everyone's predicted because everyone's migrating out from those it's kind of a game of musical chairs now where people are, are leaving from the park avenue style offices going to the hudson yards going to the lower manhattan um brooklyn is a game of fits and starts you know it's you have not to get into numbers but you have millions of feet being built and not necessarily millions of feet of tenants either coming in from outside of New York or from Manhattan. A lot of organic leasing in Brooklyn. You know, you have companies that were born there that just, this is part of their ethos and their culture, and they've been consistently growing. But will it meet demand? You know, that's to be seen. Um, But I I think it's going to be an interesting market. Same thing with Long Island City. There was kind of a rush to build, 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 accommodate for all these people that want to go to the boroughs. But, you know, you don't have everyone necessarily going out there just yet. So, you know, those two markets are wait and see hmm. Manhattan. I think over the next year is pretty consistent in terms of leasing.
1: When you're dealing with clients, international clients, or maybe not international, but out of state clients that are coming in for the first time, do they distinguish between Manhattan, Long Island City and Brooklyn, or do they look at it all as one in their mind?
0: they absolutely distinguish um Brooklyn especially I feel like is almost famous outside of New York you know Williamsburg has become this place this really cool hip place um you especially for companies on the west coast um being in Brooklyn being in you know Chelsea this, those areas that are, you know are kind of the quintessential startup tech world are very important to them um But, again, a lot of it comes down always to what's it going to cost. Manhattan, for the most part, is more expensive than Brooklyn. There's parts of Manhattan that are less expensive than Brooklyn and Long Island City, for that matter. Uh, But there's a lot of great incentives for moving from out-of-state into boroughs as well as Manhattan. But the boroughs kind of – you get the double whammy of incentives. Um, So that all comes into that spreadsheet we were talking about before where – you know, if I relocate 100 jobs from Boston to Brooklyn versus Boston to Manhattan, what is my tax incentive going to be? Uh, and, you know, that's meaningful dollars on the table. So th- that always comes up.
1: So they will be, we're going to New York. Now let's figure out which borough, based on what our needs are, the cost of total ownership yeah. to make that transition. No, so, very, 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 makes sense.
0: So we, we represented United Technologies Corporation, which is headquartered up in Connecticut. Uh, They were exploring a digital accelerator, and they had evaluated Boston, they had evaluated Austin, Texas, and they evaluated New York. New York-specific Brooklyn, though, because Brooklyn was that hub for talent, or it had that mantra about it, where they're hiring creative people, uh, people in the engineering and coding business, um, and that was part of it, but a big also part of it was what are the incentives they're going to get for coming to Brooklyn or an outer borough specifically. Uh, you know that totaled nearly 10 million dollars in savings just for selecting a certain borough. So now that levels the playing field between you know if you need to pay 100 bucks somewhere in Manhattan versus 80 bucks somewhere in Brooklyn, once you net the savings of the incentives, you might be at 60 bucks in Brooklyn. So it, it's just things, again, if, if you have a good team, they all fill you in on yeah. um, the details that need to be you know, cross-referenced yeah, when you're doing this sort of thing.
1: I, I, eyes wide open on those important decisions. Well, Jason, I want to say thank you very much for sharing some time with us. Jason Kroger of Cushman & Wakefield. This is Joseph Rigazio with Talisman Talk signing off. Thank you.